Okay, now I get the privilege of welcoming our online friends. Friends, you made it. We're in the last week. You did the whole six weeks. Yay! Uh, so we're going to close out today. So I just, a few announcements for everybody. I want to just thank you, um, all of you, for just the generosity of your offerings. Uh, it really does help to make a difference. Uh, it pays our childcare workers, all of our tech needs, and it supplies the beautiful books we have. So thank you so much. You have been so generous. Thank you, online community, for sending in checks. We've received them, and we so appreciate you. So thank you for your offerings. Um, we have said this every week, so if you haven't heard it, it's because you maybe haven't been here. We have a women's conference coming up, and I had the privilege of sitting down with Kathy Christopher yesterday just to kind of hear what God's been doing in her life, and man, she is getting rocked in the best way possible prepping for this conference. And I sat with Kathy and Kathy shared the ways that the Lord had met her in prepping this talk. And it just, it blessed my heart because I thought here's one of the wisest women I know. She is so knowledgeable and yet God's still showing up and doing something new in her. He's bringing her deeper. There's always more. So I just wanna encourage you, if you're on the fence about women's conference or you're like, oh, I don't know if I really wanna go and give up two days. Uh, I just wanna tell you uh, from what I've heard, Kathy has a word. And for anybody who feels like they're in a season that there's broken pieces and you don't know what to do with them or there's something missing, this concept that God restores us, I want to invite you to pray about coming, to bring a friend who needs that restoration because Jesus heals and he is good. So you can join us online or in person, but sign up for that if you haven't yet. Um, Jill and I, Jill is point leading the conference and she's doing awesome. And it just helps us if we know you're coming because we can prepare a space for you instead of scrambling at the end. So if you're on the fence, pray about it. We'd love to have you. Or just come. Absolutely, just come. Everybody's welcome. This is the house of the Lord. Come. Um, we also have a new Bible study coming up next session. It's the spring session. We have been praying about it as a team, as a staff, and inviting the Lord, saying, God, what do you want to do? Uh, you give us the book, and we are excited to announce that we will be in the book of <laughs> Ephesians. Um, this is one of my favorite books of the Bible. When I became um, a believer in middle school, high school, I didn't read the Bible a ton, but my youth pastor had given me the book of Ephesians. And I remember it just being this mind-blowing thing that the love of the Lord had come into my life and now it made a difference. And so we're going to dive into the book of Ephesians. It's going to be a six-week session. It starts March 29th and 30th. Um, it's going to be a little different than our other sessions because right smack dab in the middle of the six weeks is Easter. Easter. And CA usually has a lot of people on campus during Easter. So we're going to take a pause midway through. So we'll do three weeks, break three weeks. So it's six weeks total, but we will pause to celebrate the resurrected Christ in the middle of that session. But anyways, want to invite you to mark your calendars for that. Join us. We think that God is going to do big things. So excited about that. Well, now we're going to close out. You guys ready? All right, let's pray and just invite God to be here and do whatever he wants to do. Uh, so Lord, we just invite you into this space right now. Holy Spirit, come. Father, would you prepare our hearts for whatever word from your truth you want to give us today, Lord. I just pray that you would give us the gentleness, that we would be soft soil, and that you'd plant the seed of truth in us, God, that your word would be alive and active, and we know it does not return void. So God, speak to us this morning. Give us ears to hear whatever it is that you want to say to us. In Jesus' name, everyone said.
Amen. Um, for those of you that haven't gone to church at CA this past weekend, Matt Price preached a sermon on love and he brought the word. If you're part of our community or not, I encourage you to go watch it. But it was crazy because Matt preached this concept of God's love chases us and it pursues us. And I thought, man, I love when the spirit works in tandem because I'm going to talk about love today. So it was like Matt was prepping it. But Matt used this awesome illustration, this picture of him chasing his little kids when they were little and his kids just being delighted to be caught by him. And he said, that's what the father does for us. The father chases after us with his love. Oh, will we let him catch us in his love? And so when I thought about entering this, this last text today, as we close out first, second, and third John, I want to just make one really solid reminder that it is all about love. It started with love, it ends with love. If there is no love in this equation, then it's a bunch of ought to's and shoulds and do this and walk in the truth and forgive all. It's just a big list of to-dos. John's message starts with the fact that God loves you. God chose you. That's the base. It's like, has anyone ever done a scavenger hunt and you miss like a clue or multiple clues? Has anyone done that? Just me? Okay, I've been part of teams before where like we're so excited and we're like, oh, we're gonna win! And then we miss a clue and like we're with everybody else. So you see everybody else moving on and you're like, we're still at the same spot. Like we didn't, we missed something. You can't move on. In our life with Jesus, we cannot move on until we get the concept that we are loved. That's the first, that's the bedrock of whatever we do. We are loved. And today we're going to talk about the concept that love is a choice. It's something we choose. It doesn't just wash over us and we're a different person and we feel great like a Disney movie. That's not what it is. Love is a choice that we make every day, every minute, every hour, every second of our lives. And if we don't know that God already chose us, that we're already in love, we can make some bad choices to fill voids in us, to try to compensate for things, to try to fill a longing that we have, it starts with the fact that God loves us. Do you know that today? Do you know how much God loves you? That's where we're gonna start our message today. I was talking to Kathy and she said something yesterday and she said, every choice we make moves us closer to God or further away from God. There's very few neutral decisions in life. Everything we do, every choice we make can move us closer to the God of love or further away from him. So I wanna frame that today. But before we start this message, I want you to think, answer this question in your head for me. How many choices do you think you make in a day on average? 9,068, 22 billion, six? Okay, like literally think about it. So like you wake up and you instantly have hundreds of options. Do you snooze? Do you snooze twice? Do you get out of bed? Do you scroll Pinterest? Do you do Instagram? Do you do Facebook? Do you check email? Do you text someone? Do you do Wordle? Does anyone do Wordle? The New York Times Word app? Oh my gosh, I'm obsessed. So that's already, that's the first six seconds you wake up and you have a whole world of options to you. So you decide whatever you're gonna decide. And then, this is even before you get out of bed. Then you roll out of bed, you put your feet on the ground, there's like nine million other options. Do you shower? Do you not? Do you brush your teeth? Do you not? Breakfast? Cinnamon Toast Crunch? Or Cinnamon Toast Crunch? Or Cinnamon Toast Crunch? Or eggs or bacon or anything? Like, think about the endless amount of options you have. And then, I mean, I'm just getting started. As women, you open that closet, it's over. 
It's like seven million options for you to look great, and it's like, how do I showcase this to the world? You know? <laughs> this, these are the things that we are taxed with as women. We have to choose again and again and again. And these are little decisions, but just continue out your day. We're like seven minutes into our day. There's already been six million options, right? Our life is a series of choices. It's a series of us choosing things again and again and again, and God invites us every single day to choose him in everything we do. And when we make a mistake, when we mess up, God invites us to try it again next time, to enter into that. And so today, we're gonna explore the fact that love is a choice, and I think there's three things that John is specifically inviting us to choose in here. So if you got your book, you can follow along, otherwise it'll be on the screen. So we're gonna dive in. I'm gonna start right in verse one. This is John writing. He says, the elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Do you have any friends you just love in the truth? So dear to you, so real have entered your life, have blessed you in ways that you can't imagine, have walked with you through hard things. That's who John's talking to, a dear friend in the truth. I pray if you have not had a dear friend in the truth that God would bless you one in this season. Verse two, he says, dear friend, he's talking to Gaius, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So if you're taking notes today, the first choice that we have is you and I get to choose to walk in truth. We get to choose to walk in truth. And if you've been on the planet more than one day, you know that this just doesn't happen. You don't just stumble into truth. It's a hard choice, it's often a costly choice. It's a choice that requires us to trust that a loving God will still love us even despite all of our flaws and weaknesses. It's choosing the narrow way, it's choosing to forgive, it's choosing to submit our own free will to God's. John's deep love for Gaius, he says immediately, he says physical, he says, I pray that you have good health, but even more that your soul is getting along well. I think one of the things that blocks us from walking in the truth sometimes is just our physical position and our circumstances, the things that are around us. How many of us have used our circumstances, what's happening outside of us to justify why we can't walk in the truth? I'm sick in this season. It's just too expensive. I can't do that. Uh, I just don't have the time for that person. Uh, I don't really want to get up and go serve. There's COVID and there's stuff going on, right? How often we limit our ability to walk in the truth because we look to our physical circumstances or even our physical health. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4.16, it says, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. To choose to walk in truth, we have to choose to nourish the spiritual part of our soul. We have to choose to pray, to be in the word, to invite Jesus to speak into these circumstances. It doesn't just happen. Uh, when I, I studied abroad in Chile when I was in college and I went kind of on my own. I didn't know anybody. Uh, I took a leap of faith and went and I met a girl there who became a dear friend of mine. And in college, I was a little more wild, we'll say. I had 
kind of walked away from my relationship with Jesus uh, the first two years and never, never forgetting him or not believing in him. I just chose to chase after the world and everything it offered instead of him. And so I had chosen to do this study abroad and it was almost like God's grace to just invite me back to him, to choose him again. And he gave me one friend, a dear friend whom I love in truth. Her name was Laura and she just ministered to me for six months. She would bring her Bible everywhere we went. I thought it was so nerdy. Uh, she would pull it out at random times. She has a really good voice, so she, we would go, we'd be in hostels at night, and she'd be like, do you wanna sing a psalm before bed? <laughs> now, I'm, I'm not from a musical family. That's not an option. <laughs> so I was like, well, why don't, why don't you sing, and I'll just listen, but she blessed me. She drew me into the truth of God and she helped bring me back to Jesus. And so I was talking to Laura last week and my friend Laura just got diagnosed with MS. She's young. She's my age. She has four little girls. Her husband is a pastor. And we just sat in that moment. She said, Chloe, I just got diagnosed. And she went on to tell me, she said, I have felt so sorry for myself the past two weeks. I have been so mad at God. I have been questioning, I've been wrestling, I've been struggling, but you know what? The Lord kicked me in the butt yesterday. She said the Lord just slapped me across the faith with the most beautiful truth that every breath I have is his and everything in my life is his and this body is his and I am going to testify that he is good no matter what happens with me in my body in MS. He is good and he is worthy to be praised. And I sat with my friend on the phone and I heard her speak God's truth and boy did it convict me. Boy, did it give me hope that we serve a God that is bigger than our circumstances. There are people in your life that need to see that you trust God more than your circumstances, that you can stand in the diagnosis and say, but he is still good and I will still praise him. What does it look like for you to walk in truth? to walk in the reality that God is bigger than your circumstances, that it is not about getting everything we want the way we want it, the way Allison said earlier. It's not about God serving us our agenda, it's God being good no matter what, blessing us with the plans he has for your life. What does it look like today for you to walk in truth? And Jill did an awesome job teaching about this last week. We read different Bible verses. What has been the invitation where, in your life specifically, maybe it's something so small and maybe it's something huge, I don't know, but it's these little steps of obedience that we get to choose truth over the lies of the world, and it's ultimately what sets us free. Where is God inviting you today to walk in the truth, to choose that over a path of lies? Continuing on, we're gonna dive into verse five. John continues on in the letter and he says, dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters. Even though they're strangers to you, they have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. Second thing that John highlights is a choice for us. We can choose to be hospitable. We can choose to be hospitable. We can choose to welcome the stranger, to invite the missionary in, to support those who are doing the work of the Lord. 
You see, in our culture, hospitality is not a big thing. Um, if you've ever been any, to any other country in the world, you'll feel a little embarrassed about Americans because we're not very hospitable. We're just not. We're very individualistic. There's a statistic I read before I went overseas, and it was like one in a hundred foreigners who come to our soil ever get invited into an American home for a dinner. We're just, we're not that hospitable as a culture, and that is so against who God created us to be. So back in the day when John, when the gospel was going out, people were volunteering their entire lives. They would say, I'm not gonna earn a salary, I'm gonna trust you, I'm gonna go wherever you call me, and they would go into different villages. And the thing is, back then the villages were much more tribal, so when a stranger came, it posed a threat. And so most of these strangers, these visitors, these missionaries, would have to bring letters of recommendation. And the town was always suspicious because they didn't know if they were coming to rob them, overtake them, or whatnot. But once it was proven that this stranger was to be trusted, it was the village's job to welcome them in, to make them feel home. Their honor was linked to their guest being well taken care of, so they were hospitable. So John is saying, he's saying, all these messengers of the gospel have gone out. Thank you, Gaius, for receiving them. Thank you for blessing them. Thank you for allowing the mission to continue. When I lived in Ecuador, I learned a lot about hospitality. I lived in what would be considered a slum community uh, where people had houses made of random materials, bricks. Some of them had electricity, some of them didn't. And when we lived there for the year, it was the neighbor's greatest honor and joy to invite us into their homes. They loved having us over for a meal, for coffee. They could not wait for us to come in and be part of their family. And it didn't matter to them if they didn't have nice things, if they didn't have a lot. They weren't ashamed of it. All they wanted to do is share what they had with us. How different is this than the way we think of hospitality? Often we think about putting on a show, about having the nicest things. We get nervous or insecure if our stuff isn't nice enough, if our home isn't clean enough. Hospitality starts in the heart. It's not a home thing, it starts in the heart. It's about us allowing people to come in as they are and creating space for them. It's not about putting on a show. It's not about being better than this person. It's literally creating this space for somebody else to come in and to be exactly who they are. Have you ever been to someone's house where the house is in maybe chaos, there's kids running around, it's not clean, but you feel so free just to be yourself? You don't feel like you have to put on a show, like you have to be sit a certain way. You just feel free to be you. That's the kind of hospitality we're talking about. John says, I want you to be hospitable. I want you to choose to invite others in, to let them in, broken as they are, messy as they are. You do not have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all together. Everything doesn't have to be pretty and look good for you to let someone in in love. Henry Nowen had a beautiful quote that I wanted to share with you. He said, hospitality means primarily the creation of free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them a space where change can take place. It is not to bring men and women over to our side, but to offer freedom not disturbed by dividing lines. How much do we need hospitality in our culture? And so my question for you today is what would it look like for you to show hospitality this week? 
it might mean inviting someone into your house, but I think it can go a lot further beyond that. What does it mean for you to create a spiritual space, an emotional space, a space of intimacy with somebody who's going through something really hard, who can't carry it on their own? What does it look like for you to invite somebody in, even to your own mess, so that your sister doesn't feel like her mess is on her or a reflection of her? What does it look like for you to create space for people? God calls us to be generous. He calls us to take care of the missionaries, to support the work that they do. And I know this congregation, because I've been here, you guys have a heart for service. This is one of the most generous churches I've ever been a part of in terms of supporting kingdom missionaries, supporting those around the world. Where is God asking and inviting you to partner in his hospitality so that the gospel can go forth? It might be a neighbor, it might be a local missionary, it might be a family member who just needs a space to cry. What does it look like for you this week to choose to be hospitable with what you have? Carrying on, we're diving into verse 9. John says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, which I'm probably saying wrong, but Diotrephes, sure, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friends, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. So if you're taking notes, point three, choose to do good. Choose to do good. Uh, John in this letter compares two men, and the trickiness to me is that they're both named with D's, so I get a little lost. Uh, but there's two men, Diotrephes and Demetrius, and basically he paints them as opposite people. Now, in a commentary I read, it said Diotrephes was likely an elder of the church. He likely enjoyed seniority, a social standing. He likely enjoyed uh, the tithes and offerings as part of his salary or whatever they did back in the day. And so for him to receive other would take something away from his leadership, his pot, his security, his comfort. And so he chose to put himself first and say, no, I don't want to share that with other people. So he started spreading malicious rumors of don't welcome the strangers. They're not good. Continue to give your money to this little group. He was controlling because it was all about him. So that was him. And then we have Demetrius, on the other hand, who they say he was living in truth. He was testified. People spoke well of him. How are you spending your days? Are we choosing to do what is good, what is right, what's often hard and costly, or are we prone to serve ourselves above others? Um, I think that pride is one of the hardest sins in the world to see. It's like a fish in water. It just becomes the air that we breathe, the land that we live in. It's very hard to see in ourselves where we're being prideful, but it's often very easy to see pride in others, isn't it? Isn't it a little easy to be like, whoa, she's kind of full of herself or she's really got a big opinion in that, right? That's the thing about pride. It's blinding, it's sneaky, and it can stick to us and cause fractions in relationships with others. And we have no idea. We're like, I wonder why she's not talking. I wonder why he doesn't like, I wonder why, right? 
So I wanna invite you this week, if you're brave enough, if you're bold enough, to allow God to speak into your life and reveal in his gentle truth and grace if there's any area of your life that you are prideful and it's costing you. Because that's ultimately the thing. Pride is like a leech. It will stick to you and it will not serve you. It'll only hurt you. Uh, When I was reading and studying this message, there was this uh, little section, this quote about pride that I loved. This is what it says from the commentary. It says, scripture has, to, scripture has much to say about pride. Pride caused Satan to be cast out of heaven. Pride caused Adam and Eve to be cast out of the garden. It brought down prophets, priests, and kings in the Old Testament times. It kept many a Pharisee and Sadducee out of heaven in Jesus' day. It caused Pilate to wash his hands concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Pride goes before the fall, as scripture says. Of the seven things Jesus hates in Proverbs 6, first on that list is pride. There are few sins as destructive as pride. So when we think about this choice that we have to do good or to do evil, we have to get honest with ourselves about where there is pride in our lives because pride will always tell us but you deserve this, you should have this. You'd be way more comfortable if this amount of money was coming in. If only you had that relationship, you would be set. If only your kids looked like this and did this, you'd be good to go. Pride will always put selfishness on the throne, whereas doing good allows for humility to be on the throne and saying, God, I want what you want. I wanna do what you wanna do. I wanna receive people, I wanna be open, I wanna be walking in the truth. Every single day, our little decisions, we get to choose to do good and to do evil. And even when you hear that, you're like, well, I'm not an evil person, I'm not doing evil. It's sometimes the slightest, littlest, postures of attitude that can be evil. Just putting myself a little bit above that person or judging that person ever so slightly or refusing to talk to that person or not inviting that. They can be the littlest things, but God says, you have the choice to do what is good, to do what is right, to put pride aside and in your humility, consider others above yourself. Where is God in your life right now? It might be one small thing. Where is he inviting you to do good? To not put yourself first, as Diotrephes did, but to be Demetrius and put others above yourself. What would it look like for you to do good today? In the smallest way, where would God ask you to choose others above yourself? That's a choice that we have and it makes all the difference in the world because all of us know we can chase our own desires and God in his free will, he will let you chase and chase and chase and chase and chase and nobody is ever, ever found satisfied at the end of that chase. Where do you need to let go of your desires and invite God to give you new desires for goodness, for others to do what is right? That's your challenge for this week. What does it look like for you to do good? And closing, these are the last few little passages of the book, and I love the way it closes. I think it's a beautiful end to kind of this summary of where we've been in First, Second, and Third John. Verse 13 says, this is John speaking. He says, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name how many more choices we have that we do not have the time to cover. And John knows that that we have the choice every day to forgive. 
We have the choice every day to receive God's mercies that are brand new. We have the choice every day to put on his perfect peace. We have the choice every day to be an ambassador of Christ, to tell the good news of God. How many choices there are, and yet the only one that matters is that we choose to love with the love that Jesus has given us. How will you choose to love this week? That last little line, greet the friends there by name. This is a personal love. This is not a generic hallmark. God loves everybody, which is true, but God loves you specifically. He knows your name. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows the exact thing that is causing you deep anxiety. He knows your wounds. He knows where people have wronged you. He knows your weaknesses. He knows all your strengths. He knows every one of your gifts. He knows your heart's desires. The God of the universe knows you by name and knows every single thing about you and is madly in love with you. How will you love in response to that? Do me a favor as we close. Put your hand out to the right and the left. I just want you to bless the women on your sides. If you know their names, you can speak their names in the blessings. If you don't, Jesus knows their names. But I want you to bless the women around you. And I'm gonna just lead us in a blessing. But would you pray for them that God would greet each woman here by name and remind of how deeply loved she is. Let's pray. Lord, we bless the women on our right and we bless the women on our left, Father. And we know that they were created in your image for your glory and purposes, Lord. So today, as we go into groups, God, as we go back into our lives, would you show us in a way that only you can what choosing love looks like today in their situation, in their season of life, in their limited abilities, and in their maximum strengths, God. What does it look like for the neighbor on our right and our left to walk in love, to choose love? Father, I bless the sisters that are in this space, Lord. We pray that you'd seal the word of God in all of our hearts, Lord, that there'd be Holy Spirit power that wells up in us, Lord, to love the way you call us to love. So I bless each woman here, God, and each woman watching online with the holy love that comes from a perfect God who is Jesus Christ, and we receive that love now, and we invite you to show us what it means to live that out each and every day. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Amen, friends. Happy Love Day. Go enjoy your groups. Thank you for being part of this series. We're excited to see you for Women's Conference in Ephesians.